Hey, this is Derwin from the Blanket Fortress of Solitude. And one of the many cultural touchstones that informed my entire life uh, is a show called The Simpsons that was started on the Tracy Ullman show back in 1987, I want to say, maybe 88. And it started off as a series of shorts, right? Like kind of Tracy Ullman show was kind of an anthology show. And they would intersperse the Simpsons in there. But it was so popular, warranted its own show. And so that's where the Simpsons Christmas special came from, which serves as the pilot to the series. And for me, as uh, a kid in a trailer park in the Midwest in the 90s, the Simpsons reflected my life in a bodacious way. It was like I remember eating potato chips on my stomach watching Bart Simpson eat potato chips, watch me on the screen. It was life reflecting art. And so in, in, in celebration of that art, we have convened what I'm calling the Simpsons round table, the first of hopefully many round tables. And with me today is the co-host of adequately informed and frequent guest host on the blank fortress solitude, Evan Kelly, Evan, please say hello. Hello everyone. And not only that, we have the man, the myth, the legend, the way of life that is Pete Barlow, the creator of GILO and host of the Dead President Society. Pete, thanks for joining. Thank you for inviting me, Derwin. This is huge. (laughs) And so with 33, 34, some odd seasons, episodes, seasons of The Simpsons, there's so much ground to cover. However, me and Pete are in our 30s, Evan's in his 20s, so a common culture. Enjoy it while you can, Evan. (laughs) Simpsons is older than I am, so. It is. I did the math in my head. I'm like, dude, you don't even remember a life before Simpsons. (laughs) No. (laughs) I I was an infant when the show began. (laughs) As was I. One of my earliest memories was going to some fast food restaurant and them having Simpsons Happy Meal toys. Mm. Did you did you have any? Oh, of course I did. I mean, like the um, whole set. I, I, I don't think we were the, the whole set kind of family. Um, I, I feel like my mom would have put a kibosh on getting fast food too often. Sure. Um, but I remember having toys from the Simpsons Happy Meal collection thinking it was the coolest thing in the world and uh, at the time this this says a lot about you know early 90s but Fox was a grown-up channel and it was the channel that my parents watched after my sister and I went to bed so it was one of those like if you're good we'll let you watch the Simpsons because it was a grown-up cartoon I remember in the 90s because Pete you and I are about the same age when uh, I wasn't allowed to watch The Simpsons because it was too risque. <laughs> yeah, so I think for a long time, my parents were very squeamish about letting me watch like any TV, like not even on religious grounds, just on like them being <laughs> generally like socially conservative, not, not even personally conservative people. Um, and And so The Simpsons was kind of one of the first shows that I kind of knocked down the door and said, I'm going to watch this no matter what. Um, you know, South Park didn't really hit with me. Uh, Family Guy didn't really hit with me. But but The Simpsons, that, that was the good one. And so um, it's interesting that you bring up, Pete, those Happy Meal toys, because I don't remember getting them 
from the restaurant, but I remember we would we would look for them at Goodwill secondhand. And so I, I developed a small collection of them that way, sort of in their second life. Um, and then I saw the Simpsons movie in theaters with my buddy in seventh grade. That's when the movie came out. Um, and seventh grade. Seventh grade. I'm not yeah. gonna blow your mind because I saw that movie when I was uh, it was between sophomore and junior year of college. Oh wow. I was a private first class stationed at Fort Gordon, actually, when it came out. This was 2007, so that was 100,000 years ago. But I remember there was a movie theater on post, and I would, you know, we you get like a 30 rack of the cheapest beer you could find, and you drink it in the barracks. And then you wake up and you have some microwave pizza for breakfast. And then you stumble your drunk ass all the way to the fucking uh, post theater. And I remember watching this Simpsons movie on the post theater. And I just kept like the whole day. I'm just fucking there. And I'm like, this is wondrous. Like, this is everything I want it to be. <laughs> um, I, I, at the time that the Simpsons, I, I've given a lot of thought to this. Because at the time that the Simpsons movie came out, I was done with the Simpsons. I was like. Really? oh yeah the simpsons that was a that was a thing that i liked when i was a kid it sucks now i'm done with the simpsons so when they announced the simpson movie i was like i'm not gonna see that that's it's like they made a family guy movie today it's like that was the thing i enjoyed when i was younger sure and then i remember some friends twisted my arm and we went to the movie theater i used to work at and I was like, fine, I'll see the Simpson movie. <laughs> and it was really good. I remember I left the theater like, did I enjoy that? <laughs> and then I remember distinctly getting lost on the drive home, despite the fact that it was a theater I used to work at. Oh, <laughs> that's right. Was this in your NPR days, sir? Uh, no, no, I never worked for NPR. I used to work for PBS. PBS, so was, my bad. <laughs> this was pre-PBS, PPBS. Got it, got it. <laughs> I know for me, like, when it was on DVD, right, I remember being, like, a private first class and in the barracks, and I found one of those, we're like, okay, so I'm sure you saw pictures of old fishbowl televisions from the 70s. Right, where like mm-hmm. it was like this yeah. huge, ginormous thing that people would take the TV out, put a fishbowl in. So the barracks mm-hmm. I came up in at Fort Gordon had a fishbowl television, but it worked. That, and I that figured sounds out, like an army barracks. I'm sure the Air Force walks by and just goes, "Oh, where's the flat screen?" So <laughs> <say>. <laughs> oh. um, but no, I rem- I remember I there it I saw the sticker and it said free to a good home on the tv so i scrabbed it right <laughs> and i took it to my barracks room and i hooked my dvd player up to it and so i would fall asleep after drinking bud light limes to like the simpsons movie and oh. wake up and hear the dvd menu of homer driving halfway up the circle and crashing to the ground and then <laughs> the, the carnival barker says that counts as a try <laughs> that's delightful <laughs> Yeah, I, I dusted off my old DVD copy, which I got 
as a Christmas gift in 2007. And I still have to this day. Nice. Um, and there's a little advertisement on it that says, you know, watch the Simpsons Sundays at eight on Fox. And it blows my mind that that is still an accurate advertisement in the year 2022. Will... The Simpsons is still on Sundays at eight on Fox. You know, um, as Derwin did a little backstory on the Simpsons, I have a feeling the Simpsons will end the year I die because the Simpsons basically have existed as long as I have. So eventually it'll be like season 75 and it's like, I will die with the finale. (laughs) Well, I got to figure like it's an American cultural institution like the band Kiss. But like the Simpsons would be like that. They'll just like replace members and have voice sound alikes and stuff. And I don't know. I think there'll always be a Simpson somewhere. There's too much money. I I, I thought of one cool Simpson connection that I have that I can bring to this table, which is uh, the coolest thing about my dad is uh, he grew up friends with Nancy Cartwright. Shut the the fuck up. (laughs) I will not shut the fuck up because that's the truth. And the thing is, I've I've actually had a chance to meet Nancy Cartwright at a book signing. And um, so I remember my dad was there with me. I was in high school at the time. And it was like, like, I was like, dad, you have to tell her, like, it's like, oh, Nancy, it's you. Remember, we used to hang out all the time as kids. <laughs> and to her credit, Nancy Carter, I was, to- I-, I don't think she remembers my dad, but she was very nice about it, where it was just like, oh, y- you, <laughs> oh, of course I remember you, you know, because like, his, his, you know, his kid's there, and it's like, you know, you want to make your, your, your former neighbor's kid look cool. Because like, she's oh, dad, a classy so lady. Cool. <laughs> She, a, she, oh, she was very nice. Um, she signed my book because um, she, she wrote a book called uh, it was like Confessions of an Eight-Year-Old, a Ten-Year-Old Boy or something like that, or My Life as a Ten-Year-Old Boy. Um, yeah, we often forget, you know, uh, Bart Simpson is voiced by uh, a grown woman <laughs> who auditioned to play Lisa, but then uh, she and Yearly Smith were there at the same time, and they both realized they preferred the other character. <laughs> oh, very interesting. That's really cool. So there's an alternate universe out there where uh, Bart sounds like Lisa and Lisa sounds like Bart. <laughs> All right, one element of the movie that I'm gonna I'm gonna dog on, and this I, I spent a lot of time researching like what other people thought of the Simpson movie, and one thing that I will 100% agree with is I don't think they use the secondary characters as much as they could have. How so? And yeah. The thing is, all right. So you brought up teachers. Now Mrs. Kerbopel is one of the great Simpsons characters of all time, and she's barely in the movie. Yeah, they, they kind of try to give everyone like their catchphrase or something. Like at the very end, the dome breaks and then one of the shards kills Dr. Nick. So he gets to say bye, everybody. But he hasn't really <laughs> been in the movie up till this point. I see yeah. what you're saying, Pete. And like the thing is, um, there's so many, like what the Simpsons did really beautifully was they created this whole like in universe of these wonderful characters that started off as stereotypes and then kind of, you know, diversified a bit. Um, but Mrs. Krabappel is such a great representation of what teachers, I think, are really like, which is that, I mean, it's an extremely noble profession, but they're still human and uh, kids are awful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just like, that's going to wear on you. Eventually, you know, you're going to become like a, a chain smoker who you know, makes cynical comments in the, the, the sidelines. <laughs> you know, like when the kids aren't around, like, oh, those little shits. <laughs> Well, like I used to be, I've never been a teacher because I don't have the patience for it. Um, but I used to be a drill sergeant. <laughs> so that was my, my own equivalent to being a teacher. And it's just like, y- you are committed to the success of your soldiers, but you also like, 
always kind of think like oh, i really hate that little shit <laughs> that's like dude that that's a middle school teacher that's oh, exactly absolutely. what that yeah um i i think being a drill sergeant is not too different from being a middle school teacher yeah <laughs> In the same sense that I think most uh, soldiers in training are still going through puberty. Yeah. Where it's like, I'm an adult, but I'm also really horny and want to get drunk all the time. I I have this theory about the Simpsons movie. And uh, Evan, you might be able to attest more to this. So I think that uh, Simpson, like Springfield under the dome, as I'm, I watched it today, right before... Uh, uh, we did this and I'm like, Oh, cause you see it early on Marge is knitting a sweater. Right. Mm-hmm. And then fucking, uh, there's a, a violent mob coming for people's heads. It just descends into chaos and ruin and savagery. I'm like, Oh, that's America during the pandemic. Um, I, I think Springfield is a nice little, like, um, uh, microcosm of America, you know? Um, I, I think, uh, Derwin, Evan, we, we all had that kind of shared experience. Uh, the fact that Springfield is everywhere and one singular location at the same time, kind of like it, it's made it very universal. Oh, yeah. Um, like growing up in Illinois, it's like, oh, is that the Springfield? You know, yeah. our capital? <laughs> um, and the thing is, um, one reason why I think I, I got off the Simpsons train is uh, when I did was um, that for me as a kid, it, it, it rang so true. Um, my parents were the same age as Homer and Marge when the show first started. Um, like the Simpsons kids when the show first started, I was born in the 80s. Um, so I, I was growing up with Bart and Lisa. And then as the show kept going, it was impractical for um, you know Bart and Lisa to be millennials. So they had to be Zoomers. And as a result, Homer and Marge had to become Gen X. And I was like, no, no, my, my mom had a crush on one of the Beatles, like Marge. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, that, that, that's, what, that's the age they have to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that that's one of the interesting things about The Simpsons. And one of the ways that they innovated within the television world is that no show had ever been able to address a floating timeline across so many years and so many seasons so every like five or six seasons now you have to get that retconning of oh now that uh now they're homer's a grunge singer it turns out you know they, they, they're constantly changing that timeline it's like no homer and marge saw the empire strikes back as like one of their first dates that's that's you know their song is they long to be close to you by the yeah, carpenters. carpenters that's their era yeah. So, I mean, I, I think that's one of the reasons why The Simpsons has lasted so long, but I think it's another reason why fans of at least my generation kind of like, okay, this isn't my Simpsons anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely understand that because I am an absolute monster who continues to watch The Simpsons to this day. <laughs> um, and, and I will not try to pretend like the new episodes are even one-eighth as funny as the golden age but you know what there's still just like a comfort to it right like knowing that that those those yellow-skinned people are are out there running around it it maybe makes me believe in immortality a little bit you know and i i need that in my life the av club had a great observation about the simpsons which is it's a little like saturday night live now if you talk to baby boomers they'll of course say this snl peaked in the 70s and they're not 
necessarily wrong. I mean, the, the 70s episodes were, were great and groundbreaking. I mean, um, John Belushi. Like. Yeah, John Belushi, Gilda Radner, Bill Murray. I mean, just terrific comedians at their peak form. Um, but the thing is, I joined SNL in the 90s, so that was my generation of SNL. Adam Sandler. And so with The Simpsons, I feel like it's just it's more of an institution at this point rather than a cultural movement. So yeah. it's kind of, it, it depends on like the, the, the reason for longevity is just it's been on for so long that um, people that are Evan's age, I'm going to make fun of you for being so young. Um, where I'll take it join when it was their time and um, you know kids today can join in and laugh at the Simpsons now with this you know and I'm going to be the old man yelling at a cloud you know call back <laughs> um, saying it was funniest in the 90s I, I you know the more I watch the Simpsons the more I realize just how much that show raised me right mm-hmm. and like I love my parents don't get me wrong but I'll think of things that I thought my parents told me. And I'm like, no, that was what Marge Simpson said. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, mean, the thing is, um, Marge and Homer uh, were were so much like my parents. I mean, my dad's not an idiot or anything like that. You know, he didn't (laughs) strangle me. Um, But I mean, the thing is, the fact that Homer and Marge were my parents' age, um, you know, um, I was about Bart's age. You know, I was peaking in my fandom. You know, it was like, this is, this show is about my family. It's just a worse version of my family. Yeah. <laughs> See, so for me, it was like, oh, it's just like my family. <laughs> so when the Simpsons movie came out, um, I was in college and um, I was a film student. So I was like above Fox cartoons. Like, oh. <laughs> um, so I think the, one of the beauties of the Simpsons movie, and I, I, got, I hope we spend the next hour or so just referencing our favorite parts of the movie because I've, yeah. I've taken notes on that. Yeah. Um, uh, just everything that the nailed. It, it was it was nostalgic because it was like, okay, you know what? This is what the Simpsons kind of felt like when it was really really good and when it really applied to my life. And I may be a film student who's studying Kurosawa and Truffaut, but you know, I can occasionally enjoy a good Simpsons joke. Yeah. Yeah, they brought back all the writers from that classic era. It wasn't the 2007 Simpsons writing room that was writing the movie. I think it is a beautiful time capsule of 2007 in pop culture. Yes. I think we can all agree to that. Starting out with Green Day doing Mm -hmm. the Simpsons theme. And... As someone who is still a fan of Green Day, um, I think it's just fascinating because it was this moment like when we were like, it was after uh, American Idiot had kind of been like solidifying them both in terms of sales and cultural relevance. It was like, all right, who are we going to get to do the, the the Simpsons theme song? We need a, we need a famous band. Well, American Idiot was huge. Let's get Green oh, yeah. Day. Mm-hmm. And then they kill Green Day off in the first like five minutes. Well, like it's their fault for being on the barge on Lake Springfield. Yeah, what were they doing? Terrible place to <laughs> host a concert. Look, you don't go swimming in Lake Erie in 1975. That shit was on fire. Like <laughs> this is America. Yeah, you, you brought it on yourself. Um, but like I, I loved in the beginning how they make fun of themselves with the itchy and scratchy movie. How they're like, oh. Why would you go to see something? Why would you pay to go see something when you could watch it for free at home? You know what? I'm going to credit CinemaSins with an epiphany I had, which is, is this, in fact, the itchy and scratchy movie that was referenced in the show? Or is this an itchy and scratchy sequel? 
I think it's got to be a sequel, right? It's got to be a sequel because Bart was banned from ever seeing the Itchy and Scratchy movie. Mm -hmm. Until he became Chief Justice of the Supreme Court. I mean, clearly. (laughs) Completely full circle ties back to our Dead President Society podcast, which started out with Bart Taft. Bart Bart grew up to become Taft. Oh, oh, Pete, we... If, if if we ever if we ever find ourselves locked up in a cabin somewhere, we should write an entire script where we're talking about like a fictional fucking episode where Bart Simpson is Chief Justice of the Supreme Court and his whole timeline. We would. I, I could see us doing that and then turning into the lighthouse and us killing each other. <laughs> I mean, we could, or you know, we go to those like weed friendly states after it's legalized. <laughs> um but yeah like uh watching the simpsons movie um it, for me it was kind of startling at the time um because i I'd, I'd taken about um a seven-year hiatus from watching the simpsons to see how much the animation had improved i know they had a bigger budget with this mm-hmm. um but like you look at the the, the animation in this thing it, it's gorgeous i mean like the, the yeah. shading that they do the fact that they incorporated cgi effortlessly into this movie um you know, it holds I, up a lot better than some of those episodes from that era. Oh, well, if you watch old, old Simpsons, it's, it's, it's rough. I mean, that's part of the mm-hmm. charm, but it's, it's rough. And you watch the Simpsons movie. It is a beautiful film. And I'm just like, like, like the thing is the, uh, the, the Bart streaking sequence when he's skateboarding. Um, I mean, it's clear the animators were on cloud nine <laughs> just because it's like, we've done this a thousand times, but let's do it with a budget. <laughs> and they made that what thing in 2007 happen. a different time <laughs> it was um I, I i can't even imagine what like the, the 2022 equivalent of the simpsons movie would be um but like yeah just just watching the the whole movie i mean the the dome effects that they've got like it's yeah. it's just it is a pristine looking film i I've come to real I, like one of my favorite early moments in the movie is when Lisa uh, is trying to g- garner support and say, hey, maybe let's not pollute everything. And uh, she's kind of canvassing the group. And then uh, she knocks on a door and then Milhouse shows up and he's like, hey, Lisa, you can canvass me anytime. And then Nelson Munt shows up, who is Lisa's ex, right? So he sees a guy coming on to his lady, and then he starts to bully Milhouse and say, say global warming is a myth. And then Milhouse is like, further study is needed. And then he punches him. And so that's for selling out your beliefs. All right. You know what? Controversial opinion time. I think Lisa belongs with Nelson more than Milhouse. Whoa. I'm team Nelson. Yeah, obviously. 100 percent i still think she could make it work with hugh was he the british guy yeah the british guy from the future yeah i think you know that guy sucked though i can see the thing is i can see (laughs) nelson getting along with the simpsons i mean ultimately when it comes to in-laws it's like synthesis yeah i I can see nelson like on a couch watching the football game with homer nelson's a lot like her dad like (laughs) That's so true. the thing is, um, I know there's 155 problematic things about The Simpsons, but Lisa and Nelson's relationship, I actually bought. It makes a lot of sense. Like, they're it, very different, but I think that they kind of complement each other in their differences. Yeah. You no. know what? I don't, I don't know how The Simpsons will turn out, but if Lisa winds up with Nelson, I'd be cool with that. 
I my a lot I don't, of, would not be cool with her winding up with Millhouse. Millhouse is just such a drip. Millhouse is like the guy you settle for. You know, it's kind of like, oh, this is this is the natural progression of things. Bart being a well, chief justice doesn't make any sense, but oh no, Bart being chief justice actually one hundred percent makes sense, and I'm going to credit Cracked After Hours for that. Yes. Now Bart is famously stupid. Yes. But if you really analyze Bart's behavior, um, in the movie and in the TV show, when he applies himself, he's really smart. I mean, consider how many crimes he solved. Um, think about this. He learned to speak French, French fluently um, when he was an exchange student. Um, the thing is, he's rebellious, but um, it's not unfathomable to think if he actually applies himself, he's a really smart and like crafty person. I, he, so I think if he really wanted to be Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, he's going to become Chief Justice of the Supreme Court. I mean, yeah, but he'd probably do like a 30-year tour in the Marines first, right? Like, I'd be down for that storyline. I'm a bad. <laughs> like, it would be like Taft, right? After Taft was done being president, he became the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, right? You know what? We need more vets on the Supreme Court. I mean, that, that applies to us, too. Yes. I'm not going to do it, but you're welcome to try it. <laughs> oh, please. That sounds like a lot of no thank you. Um, but yeah, no, I could. Okay. So if Bart's smart, if in the right structure. So I think when he applies himself, yeah, which again is another reason why I completely identified with Bart Simpson as a kid, because yeah. I had terrible grades, but like, all the adults around me, like, you're smart. I'm like, no, I'm stupid. I got a D in this class. Like, no, you, you are. When you care about something, you apply yourself. There's... So, again, when I, I would watch The Simpsons, and I would, like, you know, see Bart struggle. But then, like, if he really cared, he could, you know, figure out that Sideshow Bob was planning to kill his aunt. Yeah. <laughs> He'd be a good cop. <laughs> so, it's like, um, you know, I, I find that fascinating about the show. And one of those, like, I, I haven't seen the show in the last 20 years or so. But, I mean, like, like they kind of committed to that continuity of, like, um you know, Lisa's the smart one in the family, but, you know, she's smart because education interests her. Bart isn't interested in education. Well, the, I, so, so many lines, like, I think one out of every 100 sentences I say is a Simpsons reference. Like, oh, like there's dude. a, there's a part where, and it's, it's one of my top five favorite episodes, actually. It's season six, episode 24. Are we gonna say that the end, or are we going to go ahead and divulge our lists? Let's just divulge our list right now. It's all free. Oh, bring it. There's no structure to this. So, <laughs> and we can jump right into the top five list. Uh, season six, episode 24, Lemon of Troy. Oh, it's a great, great one. Yeah. Oh, it's beautiful. Where they go to. Um, where Shelbyville. Shelbyville steals the lemon tree. And so, like, in the beginning, Edna Krabappel is like, hey, you got to learn about Roman numerals because of old movies or whatever. And then when he's in a lion's den, right? And they're like, oh, you have to go through exit number seven to get out. And so he remembers it through Rocky movie. He goes, oh, Rocky five plus Rocky two equals Rocky seven. Rocky seven. Adrian's Revenge. Adrian's Revenge. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I learned Roman numerals. And I'm like, oh, I can learn this through Rocky movies. 
And okay, what was your number five, Pete? Um, my number five, I'm only putting it low because it's so basic to put this so high, which is part one and part two of Who Shot Mr. Burns. Uh, yeah. Because as a kid, I was invested. There was a whole summer of just Who Shot Mr. Burns. My sister and I were like hypothesizing for days about this. I think it is just a wonderfully constructed episode. Um, it is very suspenseful. I remember as a kid being almost disappointed that it was Maggie because I was like, <laughs> um, I predicted Mr. Smithers. I mean, that was their backup, yeah. And um, but the thing is, if you watch that episode, it's it's almost suspenseful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> they do a and great job like, of establishing people with different motives, like a great who done it. Yeah, it's and. You know what? I, I, it's just like all these things. We talk about how The Simpsons educated us and raised us. Um, I had no idea what tweet, uh, Tito uh, Fuente was before watching that. I was like, all right, <laughs> yeah. you know what? I'm learning culture from The Simpsons. All right, Evan, I need to know what your fifth favorite episode of The Simpsons is. Yeah, so um, my list, I tried to include ones that maybe people wouldn't think of. So I could have done Who Shot Mr. Burns, The Monorail. Those are all great episodes. But for my top five, I wanted to pick ones maybe that were more personal to me so my number five is season five episode 16 homer loves flanders where i love that yeah i I like the ones that invert classic simpsons dynamics so one of the the primary rules of the simpsons universe is homer is going to hate flanders and he's going to do the negative thing to flanders say the mean thing about flanders every time so after ned takes homer to a football game and they have a great time Homer decides that he loves Flanders. And it turns out that Homer loving Flanders is worse for Flanders than being hated. He cannot stand Homer's constant attention because let's face it, like if Homer Simpson was really into you, that would probably bring negative karma into He's very your life. Yes, um, that's where the famous meme is of Homer entering through the bushes and then receding into the <laughs> bushes. That's from that episode because he's obsessed with Ned and he comes through that topiary that... Uh, you know divides their properties um so i just think that they they mine that classic inversion premise for some really great humor and and it's one of my favorites for sure all right pete what is your number four all right my number four um is kind of symbolic but uh it is king-sized homer i don't know what season it was from but it's the episode where uh, it's a fascinating episode because it says a lot about the nineties. So Homer intentionally gains weight to get a, put on disability. And I think I put it uh, on my list because it was the moment when like high concept Simpsons kind of reached its limit for me. Um, because if you watch this around the time I started to give up was when the, like, they're introducing like, um, Poochie. like <laughs> oh, no, no, not Poochie. I love Poochie. Um, Poochie made his way to his home home planet in my opinion um but like if they started introducing like uh jockeys that were evil elves and stuff like yeah. that um it was uh, so for me king size homer was about as weird as it could get without being without breaking that that barrier um so i remember as a kid loving that episode thinking it was hysterical um it is funny to think that in the 90s 300 pounds was considered morbid obesity i know yeah. at least a dozen people that weigh 300 pounds and they did not look like king-size homer mm-hmm. so it's, that episode it's capsule too yeah that one's got one of my favorite lines where um bar yells down to the basement dad what are you doing he says washing my fat guy hat 
<laughs> it's, it's a great absurd episode that has aged very well except for the fact that 300 pounds really isn't that much um no it, it's, it's just it's silly um I, I i love the fact that homer was going to a movie called honk if you're horny starring Polly shore and faye dunaway um, <laughs> two stars who do not belong in the same movie but it also says a lot about the 90s it's <laughs> <laughs> Uh, um so i had this thought so back to who shot mr burns the best analogy i can equate to the pop culture moment was the time between avengers infinity war and avengers Mm, endgame that's fitting like that's now we had to wait three months yeah as a kid that's a lot yeah yeah now it wasn't like trillion dollar franchises like marvel is but that's the best like analogy before it um i think for me number four is probably homer's barbershop quartet excellent beautiful and that'll make an appearance on mine as well yep because like i walk around because i work from home all the time so i walk around the house sometimes i just sing baby on board who doesn't Uh, it's it's fucking delightful man and it really it's almost i mean it's it's the story but it's almost the music because so i had the simpsons cd with just all of the music when i was a kid mm-hmm. like and i would just listen to it constantly and and then i lost it and i broke it i remember borrowing it from the library and then re- like recording it on a cassette tape <laughs> and it's too young to know what a cassette tape is i grew up on cassettes i got an old dad so <laughs> he's he's just as pretentious as we are so he's he, he's all kind of vintage, yeah. vintage hipster. <laughs> I, you know i i'm noticing my age i'm 34 but like i was i was browsing through like hbo max earlier today and then it says oh vintage movies and i'm like oh oh the 300 Oh, which came out the same year as the Simpsons movie. I know. <laughs> yeah, the the life cycle on that usually is about twenty years. So I know classic rock radio stations they could be playing Lincoln Park whenever, and that's classic rock now. If you're I, ever in Tucson, Arizona, they have a classic hip hop station, and I remember the first time I listened to it, they were playing Ludacris. I'm like, oh my god, I listened gosh. to Ludacris in high school. Don't do this to me yet. <laughs> I <laughs> so. Okay, so, and, and again, we're way off course, but fuck it. Um, so we did an episode on the first Ninja Turtles movie a few weeks ago, right? And so the end song for that is Turtle Power. And the partners in crime. R-T-L-E Power. <laughs> so, like, I'll walk around the house and just sing T-U-R-T-L-E Power, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And annoys my wife to no end, but it's delightful. <laughs> but... But I mean, um, the, the the barbershop quartet episode is a great music nerd, like Easter egg hunt. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, in addition to um, my mom's favorite Beatle, uh, George Harrison making a cameo, and it's the best cameo ever because it's such a non cameo. Yeah. It's like we have one of the most influential musicians of all time. And he has like two lines. <laughs> We're gonna ask him where the brownies are. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like. I love that about this. The Simpsons at the peak of their power were like, we're going to get George Harrison and we're going to have him just direct Homer to find brownies. And that's it. <laughs> like, I think they used, so 
they probably didn't know what to do with him because like with Leonard Nimoy, they knew a lot what to do with Leonard Nimoy. And that brings me to Marge versus the monorail in season four, episode 12, when uh, this sort of all singing, all dancing sort of music man rolls up. Or Lyle other, Landley. Lyle Landley. So Lyle Landley rolls up and he goes, oh, you should buy a monorail. And everyone's got a monorail and Octonville's got a monorail. And these are all towns he's destroyed. And yep. put on the map. Yeah. <laughs> Which he drew himself. <laughs> As ruined establishments of fear and death. And so I'm watching this and I'm like, oh, this guy would sell NFTs in 2022. <laughs> <laughs> like, Oh, because I've seen so many YouTube videos about people trying to get me to buy NFTs. I'm like, oh, well, this is clearly a scam. (laughs) (laughs) And and I was actually watching that before, right before we hopped on here. And oh, man, just like and they're so proud of Homer and he doesn't know it's a scam (laughs) and he's trying so hard. It did he like learned that mono means one and rail means rail. <laughs> I mean, that's all you gotta know to you know pilot a death trap. <laughs> I call the big one bitey. Exactly. Is that the episode with Hoju? It's like um yeah. like, yeah. Bart's proud of him. It's like I could name you Ho- Homer Jr. The kids could call you Hoju. <laughs> I love that we just scratch the surface and then like there's so many quotes that pop out out of nowhere. Like okay, so what's your number three, Evan? All right, so let's let's go to number four. My number hey. four is um, another one that I, I like how it kind of plays with our expectations for The Simpsons, and that's season eight, episode twenty-three, Homer's Enemy, where there's Frank Grimes, who is sort of the anti-Homer. Homer is a guy who has found great success despite incompetence. Frank Grimes is hyper competent, but unlucky and therefore miserable. <laughs> and it, it's almost like they've written the critics of the Homer Simpson character into the show and expose how meaningless it is to apply outside world logic to the Simpsons universe. And so Frank Grimes ends up electrocuting himself to death when he does finally try to imitate Homer and has a psychotic breakdown. Um, So yeah, I just, I love the way that it's almost saying to people who think homer has gotten too dumb or too unbelievable like shut up this is how the show is <laughs> oh man yeah no you, you can't really it, i mean that kind of goes back to criticism right like i you know not to go too deep but i have a few books published and so like i whenever people like get a new book out i'm like you know when you get your first one star review over something stupid that means you're really like successful and i've gotten i got the the the, uh, speaking of criticism i remember the dumbest one star review i ever got which was on a book about an alien occupant occupation and we'll call it space iraq right it's my iraq memoirs but in space you know it's, it's not real creative and someone said oh i can't believe there's a burger king a thousand years in the future this book is a waste of time but they spelled waste wrong they spelled it w-a-s-t and so i in my response i wrote w-a-s-t-e asterisk <laughs> okay so Pete, you want to talk about criticism? You're like you're you're a GI low. So I mean, um, 
I've I'm read some of the dumb comments you get. The comments I get are adorable. Um, and um, my connection of my critics to The Simpsons uh, would probably be summed up with the South Park episode, Simpsons Did It. <laughs> um, because uh, there's another webcomic out there that's a little more popular than mine. Um, I won't name it, um, but it, it, uh, it's about the Marine Corps. There, we'll, we'll leave it at that. Um, <laughs> the first year that I was really doing GILO, I could always anticipate some variation on The Simpsons did it, except the other webcomic did it, you know. <laughs> And so I was kind of dubbed it like, and it's like, oh, okay. You know what? I know what it's like to be the new kid in school who is in the shadow of a much more popular kid. Um, and so it's like, it is tough to be a content creator when you're making something in the shadow of something that's so prolific. Um, and in that regards, I, f- I feel some sympathy. I don't know if they, if they even need the sympathy, but like for like uh, South Park, uh, King of the Hill, Futurama, uh, Family Guy, um, because The Simpsons cast such a big shadow um, that it's like, you can't help. I mean, The Simpsons has become the, the meme of, you know, The Simpsons did it has applied to real life on yeah. more than one occasion. You know, it's, it's become a meme now. Um, so it's the like Trump presidency was predicted by the Simpsons <laughs> in the year 2000. <laughs> um, so the thing is, like, there's even moments in my life, like, um, I, I, I was in Florida recently, and um, I remember I, I was on vacation and I was like, Man, I nearly had a nervous breakdown while I was in Korea. I need to go to Florida and just relax. I turn on the TV in my hotel in Tallahassee, and what is on the episode of The Simpsons where Homer goes to Florida because he has a nervous breakdown. I was like, Simpsons did it. <laughs> was it spring break in Tallahassee when you went? Thankfully, no, but the driving, the drivers and the college students were just as annoying. Um, but the thing is, it was just this, this great moment of like, okay, you know, it's again, the, the Simpsons is such a monolith that it just, it fits into so many situations. And it, sure enough, uh, it fits into situations where South Park comments on it. Because again, as the GILO creator, I was like, I had to deal with the fact that I was always going to be compared to more successful comics. And I, I, to this day, I'm still compared to more successful comics. Um, I think that is a testament to art itself, right? Where like, you know, you're always going to be in the shadow of a bigger guy until you replace that guy, right? Like outside of podcasting, my biggest hit uh, is a zombie book. Right. That's been done once or twice. I, I do think it is worth noting that um, the Simpsons themselves had a Simpsons did it like before them because the Flintstones was a primetime cartoon. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. So it was like, OK, you've got the, the, the dumb dad. You've got the um, long suffering mom. You've got the precocious kid. And it's just like, well, Flintstones did it. Yeah. And then the Flintstones, of course, had the honeymooners did it. Yeah. And before yeah, that, it's, everybody. It's Go been on. said that every sitcom dad is just a derivation of uh, Ralph Cramden from The Honeymooners. So, yeah. so I mean, it, it's nice to know that every content creator has some other person who did it before them that they you will know, always negatively be compared to. It's exactly like that Simpsons episode. Now, I don't remember the title, but where Homer wants to become an inventor. I do remember it. It's called uh, The Wizard of Evergreen Terrace, um, where he he tries to become an inventor and is comparing himself to Edison. And then he finds out that Edison was comparing himself to Da Vinci. 
Um, you know, it's that exact same dynamic played out. The Simpsons did this whole conversation already. So I, I like to think that it was some uh, self-criticism on the Simpsons part where they're like, we're always going to be compared to someone else, whoever mm-hmm. came before us and laid down the tracks. Yeah. Even if it wasn't intentional. And to that, that speaks to the inspiration of the artists as well. I know with, you know, the moderate success I found with my military zombie science fiction stuff. I mean, it was all based off a guy. It was inspired by a series by a guy named John Ringo. Ringo, Marge's future husband. <laughs> oh, no, a very different guy. He was a 25-year, 82nd Airborne veteran. <laughs> but, like, you read his stuff, and you're like, oh, wow, like, this is really intense. And you could tell how much combat he's seen by how in-depth his books are. And, and so when we did our books, we kind of pulled a lot of inspiration from his stuff and put our own twist on it. All right, so I think we're all up to uh, episode three. Um, and the thing is, I, I had this epiphany as I was making my top five list. Um, my three favorite episodes are Bouvier-heavy episodes. Oh, yeah. And um, I was like, why, why are my favorite episodes all Bouvier? And for those of you who don't know, uh, the Bouviers are Marge's um, side of the family. Patty and Selma. <laughs> I think... Like what I love about the Bouviers is there's this kind of melancholy to to the, that side of the family. Yeah. Like with um, the Simpsons, it's they're all so goofy and just like Homer's so dumb and oblivious. He very rarely gets a chance for kind of some humanity. Um, but with the Bouviers, there's a, there's almost like tragic element to their characters that I find mm-hmm. really kind of captivating. Um, my third favorite episode is uh, Grandpa's Girlfriend, in which uh, he begins dating Marge's mom. Yeah. It has the single funniest line in Simpsons history, in my opinion. It was one of those great jokes that I could only get as an adult. As a kid, it just went over my head, which was um, Marge's mom is showing pictures of herself as a kid and how she got arrested because she was for indecent exposure because she was wearing a swimsuit that showed off her her feet or something like that and um so it's like a, it's like oh i bet and grandpa's like oh i bet all the boys loved you and she goes oh it drove my friends crazy oh who were your friends um francis farmer little sylvia plath and it was just like it's just the funniest like obscure reference to all these these famous women that went that literally went crazy hmm. um, oh. Fitzgerald was one of them and the thing is it was Zelda Fitzgerald Francis Farmer and little <laughs> Sylvia Plath it just as a kid I didn't know any of these people were but mm-hmm. as an adult I was just like that's the funniest thing ever these are three women who had very high profile nervous breakdowns <laughs> oh okay I don't know who they are um but the thing is it, 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 it as an adult it made me laugh really hard in this sort of um i'm too smart for my own good sort of way <laughs> that was beautiful and that's that's what but uh grandpa's girlfriend is just a really wonderfully constructed episode in which um uh grandpa and marge's mom begin dating and marge's mom does not get utilized nearly enough um in my opinion and homer of course is freaking out because if they get married then that means that homer and marge are step siblings and there's this great psych gag where it's like our children will be five-fingered freaks (laughs) with no overbites of 
of Bart, Lisa, and Maggie looking normal and Homer <laughs> freaking out. <laughs> um, so I think it's, it's one of those episodes that has aged with me, Grandpa's Girlfriend, because it's like, it's one of those episodes you could tell someone extremely nerdy and probably one of the, the Harvard grads that, you know, wrote that episode threw in so many references. Like as a kid, I never would have gotten that the ending is the protracted the reference graduate. To graduate. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but as an adult, I was like, I've seen The Graduate. I get this reference now. Yeah. And I, I think it's, it's just, it's a beautiful, bittersweet episode, especially since ultimately Marge's mom chooses neither of her suitors. Because mm-hmm. it's like, nah, nah, I don't want either of you. It was Grandpa Simpson and Burns, right? Mr. Burns. Mm-hmm. Oh, Mr. Oh, 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 Montgomery, you're the devil himself. Well, who told you? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's. A comedy nerd's dream episode, in my opinion. So that's why it's my number three. Uh, Burns and Grandpa are always a really great pair together. Like get the, get the old people fighting. It like like in Abe Simpson and the Flying Hellfish, mm-hmm. where they were like platoon mate. Like he was the platoon sergeant, World War Two, and then Burns was like some snot nosed punk. And so they have right, to fight. That- I will throw one wrench into that. There is no way Mr. Burns was not an officer. He would have definitely been Lieutenant Burns. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, rich. yeah, like Abe wouldn't have been an E5, but, yeah. you know, I don't really, you, you're, you're putting too much thought to the Simpsons people. But, I'm a vet. I got a, I got a military explain things. That's true. That's true. Um, but that was, that was a good foil for them too. And then I remember when after, Burns had tried to kill Bart in Abe Simpson of the Flying Hellfish. Uh, Grandpa Simpson staring down Burns, and he's won. He goes, you're out of the platoon. You're out of the army. You're dismissed, and I get all your shit. And so he gets all the stuff, but then, of course, you know, Interpol gives it to some German, like, techno guy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and Pete did several years in Germany, so he does the accent quite well. Ah. What are your next episodes? Uh, so number my three. my number three is Homer's Barbershop Quartet. <gasps> I, I know we've talked about it. Um, just all, the only thing I'll add to it is that as someone who's a huge fan of the Beatles, it, it just has so many Beatles references. The B-Sharps career kind of mirrors the Beatles very intentionally in a lot of ways. Um, probably my favorite line in that one, besides the George Harrison stuff, is when Bart asks, so how'd you lose your popularity? Did you screw up and say you were bigger than Jesus? And then Homer says, all the time, it was the name of our second album. <laughs> and they're doing the Abbey Road walk across water. It's, it's brilliant. Like, just as, as someone who loves the Beatles and someone who loves the Simpsons, it is kind of the perfect episode. There is, speaking of, to Pete, to double tell back to you talking about how the Simpsons aged up as it went, I don't remember the exact episode. This would have been somewhere around the teens, right? Maybe like late teens, early 20 season, you know, Simpsons, where instead of a barbershop quartet, they were a grunge band, right? They did Nirvana instead of the Beatles. And, you know, it wasn't bad. Granted, I'm like, I'm I'm easy to please, right? I'm already bought in. I cannot accept them as Gen X. Yeah, like... (laughs) I, I hated that episode at the time, but now that they've changed the timeline so many, like it's it's more palatable to me to rewatch the grunge episode. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. Okay, yeah, we that actually, 90s episode. Yeah, I I just ugh. 
at that point it's like it's not even watching the simpsons it's watching like a simpsons spinoff yeah that would have been 2010 probably um, um so i'm gonna be that snob who's like not my simpsons who's not my <laughs> simpsons i'm toying around with just like doing a podcast right on my own where i just talk about each simpsons episode in order right i'm like oh it's content forever (laughs) (laughs) yeah um okay so number two for me is probably the first treehouse of horror episode choice and solid two and it's because of their rendition of edgar Allan poe's the raven Mm -hmm. right because uh, that's how I learned the Raven and I memorized it. I'm like, once upon a midnight dreary, as I ponder weak and weary. weary. Didn't they get James Earl Jones to do that? Oh, yes. Yeah. I, I love that. I love that the Simpsons had that kind of power in their second season. It's like, yeah. who should the voice this? Darth Vader. Darth Vader. <laughs> Yeah, he did a voice in each of the sections of that Treehouse of Horror. I can't remember if he was Kang or Kodos, but he was the original of one of the aliens, either Kang or Kodos. Well, he didn't say what his name was. He said that to pronounce my name, I'd have to cut out your tongue. Mm Mm-hmm. They got one of the most distinguished actors in America. And like, second season, do do the Raven on this show on Fox. That's, that's, That's glorious. I love that. Yeah. And like, I, I memorized it and I had it so deep in my head when I was on, when I was in college and I dates with girls, I'd bust it out, man. <laughs> it worked. I, I wasn't super successful, but it was successful <laughs> once. So it worked one time. <laughs> but um yeah, no, that's and two, it opened up this whole like world of like Edgar Allan Poe for me. And I remember being uh, 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 pretentious 22 year old private first class and like I'm I was living in a barracks in Fort Gordon and I would read I had this complete book of Edgar Allan Poe and I would read a story every night right you could tell I didn't really have a dating life or a car yeah so my number two is season six episode 13 and Maggie makes three It's one of the flashback episodes. They kind of have an origin story for Bart's birth, Lisa's birth, and then Maggie's birth. And this is the, the, probably the one Simpsons episode that gets me more choked up than any of them. Um, Because Homer has this kind of beautiful life. He and Marge are making it work and he quits his job at the nuclear power plant and starts working at a bowling alley. And it's his dream job. Everything's perfect. And then wouldn't you know it, Marge gets pregnant and they can't swing the third child on his salary at the bowling alley. So he has to go back and beg Mr. Burns for his job and he does get it back. But Burns says, you're, you're here forever. And he puts a sign in Homer's office that says, don't forget you're here forever. But then at the end of the episode, when it's back in the, the present timeline of the Simpsons, you find that Homer has taken that sign and covered it strategically with pictures of Maggie so that the sign now says, do it for her. And I think it's one of the episodes that shows Homer's sweet side that he does care about his parents. You know, this is not a jerk ass Homer episode. This is just <laughs> very emotionally satisfying storytelling. And, you know, there's probably good jokes in it, but I don't remember them even because they're, they're just the the sincerity of this episode is what carries it for me. Do it for her is one of the most beautiful endings ever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And 
and like like we said so many times so many parts of the show were like you know like i'm pete you and i are almost homer's age now right that's and, true yeah yeah we're Those there now. bald as homer so that works yeah no like i've got a little bit up front it's all in the back is all gone now it, it's it's all just a show and it's fading fast but and one day we'll be Grandpa Simpson's age. You have glorious hair, by the way, Derwin. Don't don't knock yourself. <laughs> Thank you. That's, that's so <laughs> that actually means a lot. <laughs> I look like a plucked chicken, but you have a great head of hair. Well, I'm I'm also a you know a fat civilian now, so I can look like I came out of the woods and learned to buy electricity and stuff. <laughs> um, okay, so. What is your, Pete, what is your number one? Well, we've got number two. Oh, well, what's number two? I'm not good with numbers. Uh, I'm going to keep this tradition up of uh, Bouvier-centric episodes that are, you know, kind of sad. Um, but Selma's Choice. Uh, okay, yeah, yeah. Is the, I think the first Selma-centric episode, and it, I think Selma's one of the great characters on the show. Because she started off as this caricature of, like, the sister-in-law who always you know, fights with Homer and whatnot. Um, but the fact that we get this, like, th- this idea of who she is, um, that, you know, although the DMV isn't, you know, the most glamorous of jobs, she's a very successful career woman. But, I mean, there's this longing in her that she, you know, wants a kid and she wants to be a mom. Yeah. And we get this uh, th- th- this great idea of who she is and to what extent she wants to, the, this, to, to lean into this maternal instinct. Um and in the end, she realizes that, you know, she, she has all of those skills that she already wanted. You know, she's got, uh, was it Jub Jub? Jub Jub. Jub Jub the iguana. Um, one of the uh, uh, underrated animals on the show. But the thing is, like, um, she, she realizes that she's happy as an aunt. She couldn't quite do the mom thing yet. I, I think in later seasons, she adopts a kid. Um, mm-hmm. But um, it, it's this great kind of like, it, it's a beautiful character study of a side character. And we talked about how the Simpsons, like one of the great strengths is how the secondary characters have their own lives and they're, they're, they're richly developed. And I think the Selma's Choice is a great example of an episode that does that. Um, and the thing is, uh, I know uh, the, the voice actors who does the same, you know, the same actress who does the voice of uh, Marge does the voice of Selma and Patty. Uh, yeah, she said Julie that loves uh patty and selma because there is this kind of sadness to these characters and she can kind of lean into that and i think she does a really terrific job in that episode um of of showing what selma wants and unfortunately um as you know like multiple seasons pointed out that she couldn't have Mm -hmm. you know possibly because her taste in men is horrible and she winds up marrying you know a serial criminal and um, we start with a fish fetish (laughs) Troy so, McClure. <laughs> yeah. Selma's Choice is my favorite um, sort of like secondary side character character study. And like to go back to the melancholy of the Bouviers, it's, you know, the older you get, you know, and granted, none of us are like 80, but the older you get, you're like, oh, I'm never going to do that. Right. Like, oh, that's, you know, like the older you get, the more you're like, you, you get limitations and stuff. And, mm-hmm. you know, uh, not to brag, but I was at Evan's birthday party the other day and we were at True. a golf. I wasn't invited. Well, I mean, <laughs> yeah, but you're busy and you're in Florida. And, and I hadn't met you yet, you know. Yeah. yeah. Small you details. You pass the test first, Pete. That's all. 
Um, but no, like, what was that like driving range we were at? Evan? Yeah, Top Golf. Yeah, it, it's where it's like it's a you hit the ball with the golf stick and then it goes over the big net thing, right? You can tell I'm an expert. <laughs> and so my wife grew up on a golf course, right? Like, so she knew all about it. Uh, I grew up half feral in a trailer park, so I it, it's new to me. And but I have so many fun back injuries from the military, amongst other things. I'm like, oh yeah, I'm not just gonna like violently swing a stick uh and not know i i've never done this before so i didn't know how it was going to affect my back injury so i just i'm like oh i can't do that like golf is not for me for the rest of my life and much like having a kid might not be for patty but she gets jub jub so well um i i think you know as we age into the simpsons um one element of that episode that is really kind of you know um hit me in close to home is um i'm not a dad um but I am an uncle. And um, so at the very end of the episode, when she takes um, Bart and Lisa to Duffland, I think mm-hmm. <laughs> and she's just, she, she takes the kids back home and she's like, she, you know, she tells uh, Homer, like, I don't know how you do it as an uncle, <laughs> but I hang out with my niece and nephew. I'm just like, I tell my sister, like, I don't know how you do it. <laughs> so that, that, that element has definitely um, made that my second favorite episode. Yeah um yeah i don't have any kids and evan to my knowledge you are not a dad no and so uh i get that though you're like because i have friends with kids and i'm like oh this all looks like sticky and you know loud (laughs) beautiful and impossible like i mean most of earth's population procreates but like you meet those people who have kids that are um you know, especially if you like, you've got like an attachment to the kids, like my niece and nephew, where it's like you know, you love them, and it's just sort of like, I love them, but I don't know how to do what you do. <laughs> it just, well, it's so hard. I uh, they're loud, and I have like tinnitus. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> it really, I'm at the point now where I'm like, oh, now is the best time for me to be a dad, <laughs> right? <laughs> Five years ago, I was a mess. Now like, I'm doing great. I'm a lifelong insomniac, but I was just hanging out with my niece and nephew and uh, neither likes sleep. And I was just like, even I'm like, come on, it's the middle of the night. <laughs> like, I, I sleep two hours a night on a good night. And it's like, but damn, could you just give me a break? I, I, and my it, brother, my, my, my sister and brother-in-law do that every night. And they're both functional, healthy adults. You know? Yeah. It, it, so, I mean, I think, um, you know, like Selma's Choice, again, is a beautiful representation of what it's like to be an aunt or an uncle. But, you know, it's sort of like, someday I'd like to be a parent. But in the meantime, eh, this is enough. Yeah. <laughs> right now, you just, just don't drop them. You're good. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So my number one all-time favorite episode is season eight, episode nine, El Viaje Misterioso, de nuestro homer it is the insanity pepper episode which is just wall-to-wall classic simpsons from the opening bit yes (laughs) from the opening bit where marge is trying to hide the chili cook-off from him and then he finds out he winds up missing the cook-off i say that to my wife at least once a week um (laughs) and then yeah at the at the cook-off he eats the insanity peppers and has the hallucination where he meets the spirit coyote johnny cash 
um, with another one of my favorite Simpson lines um, where Homer's thinking and then the coyote starts biting on his leg and he says, sorry, I am a coyote. <laughs> like, what did you expect? Um, and so then Marge is really mad at Homer and he starts to question whether or not they are soulmates. And he goes on this sort of soul searching journey, which of course concludes in him in a lighthouse about to murder an entire ship full of people so that <laughs> they will be close to him but marge because they are soulmates finds where he is and reaffirms their love and their relationship and i think this is the perfect simpsons episode and my favorite because it balances the just absurd gags with a real deep commitment to exploring marge and homer's relationship and reaffirming their love for each other but then, like I said, again, not sacrificing the quotable lines, like when he's remembering his vision quest and the animation in the spirit quest is great, too, because it's a little different. Like they, they, they try to draw the characters sort of different with the, the body angles that they use. And it looks really interesting. But anyway, so he's recalling the, the spirit quest that he had. And the, the coyote voice says, find your soulmate. And Homer responds, what does that mean? And then the coyote voice says, this is just your memory. I can't provide you with any new information. <laughs> All right. I want to highlight one element of that episode that I love, which was the animation on that chili pepper, because I wanted to try it so yes. badly as a kid. <laughs> as an adult, I want to try that chili pepper because it looks amazing. <laughs> it looks great. So, yeah, that's my all-time favorite episode, hands down. Pete? What is your all-time favorite episode? All right. This is going to come as no shock based off everything I have built up to, which is a lot of nerd references, a lot of Bouvier-heavy episodes, and a hint of sadness. Uh, my favorite episode is A Streetcar Named Marge. <laughs> nice. Um, Very nice. Everything I love about The Simpsons. It, it, for those of you who don't know, it's the episode where Marge auditions for a community theater production of A Streetcar Named... Sorry, a musical version of a streetcar named desire called oh streetcar which in and of itself is the funniest thing in the world making a musical out of a streetcar named desire <laughs> um including ned um as stanley kowalski which is everything about this episode just works so well everything is cast against type um and it includes so many amazing references, not only the fact that they made a full-length musical out of Streetcar Named Desire, um, which every musical number featured in the episode is flawless, um, mm. but they also include references to the birds and The Great Escape, because Maggie goes to the Ayn Rand Daycare Center. <laughs> yeah, Ayn Rand School for Tots. <laughs> it's just like... It's the only episode, like as a kid, none of this would have, like, I, I remember watching it as a kid and I, I know, I've never seen Streetcar Named Desire. I didn't know who Ayn Rand was. I didn't know what the birds was. But as an adult, I watch it and it's just like, there's so much loving detail that goes into every aspect of this episode. And the thing is, as, as we touched upon, um, well, as Evan touched upon with his favorite episode and is, is very well done in the movie, is the fact that at its core is the relationship between Homer and Marge, which kind of makes no sense. But the thing is the writers do such a good job of saying these two people who have no compatibility actually really love each other. And the thing is, um, and that's demonstrated in Mr. Crane and Marge really well in the ending in which um, Homer, who is the most culturally illiterate human being on planet, the planet Earth, 
um, gets a streetcar named Desire. He gets that he gets the tragedy of Blanche Dubois um, from watching the show and watching Marge's performance. And I think that does such a good job of like, all right, yes, Homer may share some Stanley Kowalski qualities, um, and Blan and uh, Marge may be a little like Blanche Dubois or Stella. Um, but the thing is, Homer at his core really does love Marge, and he gets the show. And I thought that was such a beautiful ending. And I think, it, and that's why, in my opinion, forever, A Streaker Named Marge, best episode ever. Okay, so uh, my... Your turn, Yeah, so my number one uh, is actually season two, episode one, Bart gets an F. Mm. But to find out, you'll have to tune in next Wednesday for my solo episode that I recorded <laughs> on oh, my number did. one favorite. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> I just teased it out this whole time. <laughs> and forget who shot Mr. Burns. You have created the ultimate cliffhanger. <laughs> I just especially for us. Cause we're recording this like three months before we're going to hear it. So <laughs> It's like a six month wait. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I record way in advance. I assume. You know what? Derwin, out of spite, I'm going to spoil this for you. Bart gets a D at the end of the episode. Oh, oh, spoiled a 30 year old episode. <laughs> he spoiled well, your favorite episode for you. He gets a D. He did. was misleading. I got to, <laughs> I got to leave him hanging. Like, I got to tell him to check in in two days to listen to that episode right and i'll learn why i so so loved bart gets an f i think you know what actually i'm gonna throw in my two cents i think bart gets an f was the first great episode of the simpsons oh it's magic mm. like because the thing is it was at that time like the first season was just them figuring out what to do but mm. season two episode one when bart gets an f i think that's the first time it was like all right the simpsons clicked it was yeah. like, all right, we, we figured out all the rough stuff. This is the show going forward. And as previously mentioned, I love Mrs. Krabappel. I love Bart Simpson. The dynamic between those two is established in that episode. I break down crying every time I see it. It's but like, I also had like 18 months of therapy. So I'm all in like in touch with my feelings now and shit. It's very exhausting, right? That's what people <laughs> have told me. Um. Okay, so... Let's touch on the movie a little bit, right? So I love that in the Simpsons movie, Homer is the harbinger of the apocalypse, right? Like grandpa foretells in prophecy. <laughs> and, and there's like, there's so many things in that movie that I like, like the meme that goes, oh, this is the worst day of your life so far. So far. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, army, totally. <laughs> like, <laughs> this applied to so many situations in my life. Yeah. And that's just because I grew up identifying with Bart Simpson. Yeah. <laughs> and there's uh, like a part where they roll Grandpa Simpson up after he says, ah, believe in me. Uh, twisted eyes Epa. okay real quick one thing i love about that gag is that they leave him in the car when they go to get breakfast <laughs> well they roll the, the they roll the thing down the windows down and there's a line that i say to this day 
where he, they're, they're like trying to explain what happened. And he says, someone we love had a senior moment, right? I say all the time, oh, I had a senior moment. Constantly, I say that shit. They <laughs> got it from there. Um, I guess awkward. it's better than constantly saying bountiful penis. That would be a good name for a podcast. Or the Simpsons. <laughs> bountiful penis although you might get listeners for different reasons you know what actually this this ties into um a lot of the the simpson movie one element i loved a subplot i loved is uh the relationship between uh bart and ned mm-hmm. yeah. we don't often because i think as ned flanders has it, it literally epitomized flanderization when it comes to tv writing where it's like we'll find one aspect and just make it his whole thing um but the thing is what the show really nailed early on was that ned flanders is basically just a really good dad and so it's like for bart kind of experience like oh this is what like an objectively good dad is like i think that the movie does really well like yeah when he's fishing with bart and then he does he drops a thing or like the, fo- the fishing fo- rod yeah and then he just braces for like the physical abuse right mm-hmm. <laughs> And Ned's like, no, why would I hurt you? <laughs> like, I've often thought, though, why didn't anyone jump out of the boat and get the damn fishing rod? It's like, it just fell in. It's not going to be that far deep in the I water. I think Ned was more <laughs> thrown off with, oh, this little boy thought I was going to physically assault him. Right? <laughs> like That's jarring. <laughs> yeah, like we touched upon like um, uh, Homer and uh, Homer and Ned's relationship in that one great episode. Um, yeah, the, the show kind of like tends to forget like Ned Flanders is just a good human yeah uh, another one that I think an episode that explores it really well is the Dead Putting Society episode where Homer and Flanders kind of get each of their kids in a proxy war on the mini golf course I have a story about that okay um, so before I was a soldier um, and uh, a long time ago in a galaxy far far away um, I was an actor and I was in a, a community theater production of The Simpsons that did that episode, and I played Ned Flanders. That's amazing. And the thing is, it was one of the great early moments of me kind of like figuring out what acting was because I didn't want to do an impersonation of Ned Flanders on the show. I wanted to create my own Ned Flanders, and I, I'm a good Midwestern boy, so I wanted to give him a Wisconsin accent. So that was just but, but one example of me as like an elementary school student is like, be, like thinking creatively. And I was like, okay, I don't want to make this a ripoff of The Simpsons, <laughs> even though we're doing a production of The Simpsons. I want to like, I, I channeled all of my family from Wisconsin. And it was like, all right, you know, they, they have those same kind of like, oh yeah, you know, just the real kind of nice and uh, nice and folksy persona of a, a Midwesterner. And I, 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 so I didn't do a Ned Flanders voice. I did a this voice, you know. Um, and like my mom, still to this day, I'm 35. And she's like, that was the best acting performance you ever did in your life. <laughs> and it's like, is it because I reminded you of your brothers? Line that if you Harry Shearer ever decides to drop out as Ned Flanders, uh, Matt Groening, um, I'm available. All right, we talk about great actors in The Simpsons. We need to give Albert Brooks his moment in the, the spotlight. In the movie? Albert Brooks contributed so many great characters to The Simpsons to include in The Simpsons movie as the EPA bad guy. Russ Cargill. 
And one thing I, I thought was interesting is I, I was watching a lot of YouTube videos about the Simpson movie, and there was some anger that it wasn't Hank Scorpio. I was so close to putting You Only Move Twice on my top five episodes. That is such a perfect episode. And, well, one observation I, I saw that I agree with is Hank Scorpio was a Bond villain, but he still, he loved Homer. Yeah. Like, he, he wouldn't have put Homer in a dome and, you know, pointed a gun at him. So yeah. I'm glad they didn't use Hank Scorpio as the villain. Yeah. No, you're totally right. Yeah. The best Hank, or Hank Scorpio, the best Russ Cargo line was when he says, you're not, <laughs> oh, we're trapped like rats. He goes, oh, rats are trapped as easily. You're trapped like carrots. Like carrots, <laughs> yeah. and, and then, like, after they realize that the Simpsons started all of this mess, and then the mob forms, because this is America, and why wouldn't a violent mob form with a noose? And, <laughs> and then Nelson Bunce, and while I'm sure he still loves Lisa, says, uh, I have a red arrow, so I know which one I kill. <laughs> My other favorite part of the mob is um, Homer is trying to give all these excuses as to why he can't surrender. And one of them, he says, is, I'm just worried that they're going to hurt grandpa. And then grandpa yells out, I'm with the mob. <laughs> um, Did like the treehouse like swings forward yeah and you see grandpa cocking his shotgun <laughs> yeah there's just uh, there, there's so many little details and i think that's what the simpson movie does what the best episodes of the simpsons did which was cram so many details in you have to watch it a couple of times to catch everything mm-hmm. um we haven't even gotten to my single favorite line in the simpson movie um, which involves them being in Alaska and Homer going on his spirit quest. Um, not unlike your favorite episode, Evan, um, where he, Homer's response to the spirit quest is, thank you, boob lady. <laughs> <laughs> that line makes me laugh like a, a five-year-old kid every time I hear it. <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I could relate on a couple of big things where when he's trying to win the truck right he has to drive a motorcycle like around in a circle in a sphere or something right and so it reminded me of when i was driving in convoys when i was in the infantry in the national guard and driving there's hills up and down indiana and so you know you're doing a three-hour convoy on four hours of sleep a carton of cigarettes and hopes and dreams and like is a big truck and i'm just trying to stay awake and then like you hit the go down but as you go down, you're supposed to like speed up. But I was always nervous to speed up, right? Because I'm like, oh, I don't know what's on the other side. And I'm driving a big fucking truck. And so I would hear Lisa Simpson's voice saying, speed up. And in my head, I'm like, but that's what it's the scariest. <laughs> <laughs> and like, there's like at the end of it, when Homer comes back from Alaska and he's making all these fake signs and when it says sop sign right he misspelled stop and it says sop <laughs> yeah um, the guy says we can't keep stopping at every sop yelled in one vase sign <laughs> that that also features one of my favorite sight gags which was homer um it's like i am general embassy sweets <laughs> i don't know why but that made me laugh. <laughs> Because he can't discern a hotel costume from a military uniform. And it works. Yeah. So 
<laughs> oh, there's just so many little details. I think like and um, then they, they they call back to that because then on his to do list for saving Springfield, one of it is return bellhops uniform. <laughs> I think when it comes to the Simpsons movie, I love the forest for the trees. Sure. Um, just because there's just so many psych eggs, so many little like blink and you miss it references and whatnot. Um, yeah, I, I, I think it is a solid like B plus movie. Um, not perfect, but it's just, if I'm in a bad mood, I'll watch the Simpson movie. <laughs> you just need like some comfort food. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's just like it's a it's a good uh, hangover movie. It's just sort of like it's like I'm in a hotel and it's like it's on like I'm, I'm gonna watch it. I had this thought when I watched the movie today that uh, the Springfield in the dome at the end of the movie, when it's just like rubble and there is like war and then Moe's got a traffic cone on its head. I'm like, oh, that's America in year three of the pandemic. Like, we're there. (laughs) Just in time for me to move back to America. I'm so glad you're (laughs) home, Pete. Um, All right. I'm not sure if Evan is old enough or like maybe this, this didn't play on reruns enough, but the movie that the Simpson movie reminded me the most of kind of out of nowhere, but um, the chipmunk adventure did anyone else. Nope. All right. So Alan Sorry. The Chipmunks, stupid TV show, stupid concept, but they made a movie and it was about the chipmunks and the chip ads going on a global adventure. And I think it's, it's, probably does not hold up but as a kid i was like oh, these characters i watch on you know um this goofy cartoon show are going on this big adventure with stakes I, so it made it much much more epic so um as an adult watching the simpson movie that's the same vibe i got which is the mm-hmm. same vibe i got as a kid watching like saturday morning cartoon characters where there's like international criminals trying to catch them and there's they have to you know like salvage jewels from stuffed animals kind of deal so um i I think it was cool that as an adult i had that same sort of feeling of like oh the stakes have never been higher in this show that i watched as a kid yeah and and part of that experience too of seeing it on the big screen you know i think that's something that the three of us shared it does matter right we live in a world and this is something that Derwin and I have talked about before, but we live in a world where kind of all content is homogenized onto one little tiny screen called you know, cell phone. But there, there is something magical about seeing Homer Simpson and he's as big as a whole wall up in your movie theater. And, and he's driving the motorcycle up a giant dome to save his neighbors. Yeah. It's like, it's, it's, it's epic. Absolutely. That was once so small is now the size of a building. And it's kind of like, it's cool to see that. And Mm -hmm. he's taking Bart along with him and Bart's throwing a bomb on top. It it all kind of makes sense. (laughs) Yeah. It kind of really fits together at the end. Um, Uh, Final thoughts. Um, I I love the Simpsons movie. I don't think it's perfect. Um, Probably because they didn't have Conan (laughs) O'Brien. But it, it is a beautiful comfort film um, that does justice to Simpsons fans, old and new. Yeah, I love it as well. I, I agree that it doesn't quite achieve 
perfection, but it was better than it had any right to be in 2007. And honestly, it's better than it has any right to be rewatching it in 2022. It if, holds. if you love The Simpsons, it does hold and you'll, you'll love the movie. And it's not like out of date and like, and a lot of the sort of like references and stuff make a lot more sense. And so for the Blanket Fortress of Solitude, I am Derwin. I'm Pete. And I'm Evan. And I will see you Wednesday when you learn about why I love Bart Gets an F. But I, you know, we always appreciate good Illinois connection. Oh, yeah, you know. I, I know this is going to get cut out of the podcast, but just to, to just put it on record, um, there's a lot of Chicago expats in Arizona, and like everyone in Chicago, everyone in Arizona from Chicago knows that there's a Portillo's in Phoenix. And I was like, I have to go <laughs> to that Portillo's in Phoenix just to say I did it because I'm closer to, at the time I was closer to Phoenix than I was Chicago. So I was like, mm-hmm. what? There's a Portillo's only three hours away. <laughs> There's a Portillo's 10 minutes from my house. Shut the front door. Yeah. What's okay, a Portillo's? Well, I, I need to get to Indianapolis now. Yeah, you do. Uh, I mean, really good Chicago me. hot dog restaurant. Also you, the <laughs> Portillo's the and my friends, you know. You were at my wedding. <laughs> and you didn't tell me about this Portillo's? Oh, God, how long has this pandemic been going on? Years. (laughs) Yeah, I was in Korea for most of this. I I ducked out in time, I guess. (laughs) I'm sleeping on your couch in June, remember? All right, I need to buy a couch then. This is a a Who Shot Mr. Burns level of suspense, (laughs) Derwin. My cat, fun story, has learned that she enjoys climbing up the blinds, right? But like like kind of like worming her way through like she likes going in and out to where they're like i'll find her and she's just like tangled up like like she knows she's made a mistake but she has no regrets Uh, Uh, my dog has done that before hold on gentlemen i have to do two things at once i have to i'm saving various different recordings we're doing right now um also i have a cat that's trying to destroy the blinds I'm very excited to hear how you edit this monstrosity of multiple recordings. (laughs) I have no idea. (laughs) I've got months to do it. It's fine.